Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now today, I want to talk about something that's really going to be a hard subject. Uh, I'm, in fact, some of you may be living through or may have lived through what I'm about to describe, and this podcast may be difficult for you to hear, but I hope it'll be personally helpful to you to, to uh, listen to what I have to say. But for more of you, I want to do this podcast to equip you to be a minister during a certain set of circumstances. What's my topic today? I want to talk with you about ministry during tragedy. Now, by tragedy, I mean difficult circumstances that are particularly devastating to families, churches, or communities. Uh, let, Let me illustrate what I mean. I have experienced death in my family. Uh, For example, a number of years ago, my grandmother died. I was very close to her. I'd lived with her for several years while I was in college. We had a really warm relationship in my adulthood and in her latter years. She lived up into her 90s. And when she died, uh, we, we missed her, we grieved her, but I would not describe her death as a tragedy. We, we really all anticipated it and knew that it was inevitable and were prepared for it in some sense when it happened. I would say the same thing even about the death of my own mother. Uh, my mother died at age 77. Uh, she was a very active, vigorous woman who uh, rode a horse and uh, worked on her ranch and did all the things that a busy uh, West Texas uh, woman liked to do. And then one night in her sleep, she had an aneurysm and she died. Now, while it was a great blow to us and, and we felt a deep sense of loss, um, in a sense, we also felt that she lived a long and full life, and, and her passing was in a good way uh, for her to move to heaven so quickly without difficulty or without suffering or without a long illness. And so, again, we grieved, but, but no one in our family really saw it as a tragedy that she died this way. So what do I mean by tragedy? I mean a death or a set of difficult circumstances that really is devastating because of the nature of what happened. Now, why am I teaching about this today? Well, because we had one of these happen this summer at the seminary. Uh, we have a faculty member who had a, who had a 15-year-old granddaughter uh, who died in her sleep of natural causes. And I want to emphasize that. There were no drugs, no alcohol, no history of anything like that. This was a beautiful young Christian girl who uh, was a spark of life and light in her family and in her church and her community. Uh, in her sleep, she had a rare medical event uh, which stopped her heart and, of course, uh, took her life. Now, uh, they were able to do some immediate uh, medical uh, procedures. Uh, when they discovered her the next morning, they were able to restart her heart. She was in the hospital for a few days, but she never recovered any brain activity. And so fairly quickly, within just a few days, the family had to make some difficult decisions about how to move forward. And of course, they did. Now, I'm not going to go into that story in any more detail. That, 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 that's enough for you to understand what happened, and the family deserves the privacy of the rest of that. But I've experienced not just that this summer, which reminds me of how to and the importance of knowing what to do in a tragic situation like this, but as a pastoral leader and ministry leader over the years, I've had some others like this. For example, I once had a a church member 
who was pregnant with twins and gave birth to them, and they both died in the birth process. Now, that was an incredibly rare and difficult circumstance for everyone involved, the physicians, the nurses, the parents, everyone. And it was a tragic situation that we had to respond to. I had another situation when I was in pastoral ministry and it happened in our community. Um, there was a school bus accident, a particularly horrific school bus accident in, a, in which a number of children were decapitated and which uh, there was uh, just a horrific amount of carnage in relationship to this traffic accident. And so uh, that caused a, a community outpouring of grief and, and our church was impacted but our, more than that even our community was impacted and the whole tragic nature of that had to be dealt with by the by by not only myself but by the pastors in the community so what do you do and how do you minister uh, in a time of tragedy uh, when you have one of these devastating kind of circumstances that happens in your family or in your church or in your community uh, where you have someone die in an untimely way you have someone killed in action in the military. I've also had, had that happen with a very close friend of our families and a part of our church in Oregon. Um, how do you deal with it when there's a shooting in your community, a school shooting or something like that? What do you do? How do you minister in the context of tragedy? Well, let me start by saying that the family this summer that I was working with and that, our, that was connected to our seminary did several things well. In fact, in some ways, I marvel at how they were able to go through this tragedy together and how they were able to model for us what that looks like. So let me tell you, first of all, some things they did well, and then I want to end the podcast with some things for you to remember as you minister to people in this kind of context. First, uh, this family was honest about their process. They spoke openly about their grief, about their anger, about their frustrations, uh, they were transparent with each other about these things, and in the memorial service for their daughter, they were very open and honest about uh, the process they had been living through. They talked, for example, about begging God to restore life to their daughter and about even looking at passages of Scripture where Jesus raised the dead, giving life back to them. And they appealed to God in prayer that that might happen for their daughter. And yet, at the same time, while they were begging God for life and asking him for a miracle, they were also drawing on other passages of Scripture which spoke of God being the determiner of life and the controller of life and the controller of the timing of life. And they were, on the one hand, asking God for a miracle, on the other hand, submitting to God and asking him to grow their faith and give them strength to go through whatever he did. And I particularly liked it at the funeral service when they said, God answered our prayer. He, he answered our prayer, no. He did not give us a miracle in the sense that we were hoping for, but he did restore our daughter by giving her eternal life with him in heaven. And so they were honest about their process. Uh, they talked about how difficult it was, and they were transparent about how desperate they were and how much they prayed and how much they wanted their daughter to come back and how they struggled to process and deal with uh, all aspects of that tragedy that had come to them. Uh, they were also honest not just about their process, but they were honest about their grief. 
This is one of the things that uh, really troubles me sometimes about Christian families, and that is they try to fake it through a tragedy or through a difficult situation and say, you know, cliches like, uh, you know, well, God is good or God will take care of us or God's ways are perfect. And while those true statements are true, uh, there's something that rings like a cliche about them when they're saying them because you know that what they're doing is denying the reality of what they're really feeling, and that is a heart-rending brokenness about their grief. And I really admire this particular family this summer because they didn't do that. Uh, they spoke openly about their grief, and they, they quoted and depended on that great verse from 1 Thessalonians 4, which says, We grieve, but not without hope. And that passage doesn't say Christians don't grieve because they have hope. It says we grieve. We're just like everybody else. We grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. And so uh, they were honest about their grief, and they talked openly about it, and they didn't fake it, and they didn't duck the hard questions about it. They were just honest about it. I love that. Another thing this family did well this summer was that they really pulled together. Now, I've known this family for a long time, and they're a great Christian family, but just like every other family, they've had their moments. And I'm sure they've had more moments than we even know about, but in this particular instance, they really pulled together. Uh, the whole family came together, the extended family came together, and different ones did different things to make sure that they all made it through together. And then they talked about what they're going to do even after the memorial service over the next several weeks and months to support one another and care for one another and make sure that the whole extended family uh, does their part to make sure that they all make it through this together. You know, that's one of the things that tragedy uh, should do for us and often does do for us, and that is it causes us to pull together to put aside petty differences and put aside other problems and challenges and struggles and really come together around a, a pressing need that needs to be addressed. Another thing this family did well this summer was they let their theology guide their decisions. Now, in this particular family, there's not only the person that's related to the seminary, but there's other ministry leaders in the family. So believe me, they are well-versed in the Bible and what it has to say. But what was impressive to me was not that they knew the Bible, but, what they, but was that they let the Bible and what they believe ultimately guide their decisions. Now, uh, this is an important uh, observation about ministering to people who are going through this kind of difficulty, and I'll talk more about it in the second part of the podcast. But for now, just understand that this family was honest about the process they were going through, and they were honest about their grief. And that, in, in doing so, you might think, well, yeah, but some of what they were going through and some of what they were talking about and some of what they were being transparent about really wasn't the way God wanted them to ultimately respond. And that's probably true. But what was beautiful was that ultimately they did get to the response that they believed God wanted them to make because after they processed, after they were honest about their situation and processed the grief associated with it, they would come, they came to affirm some clear things the Bible teaches and to stand on those truths and to put those truths into, into practice. And that is really the essence of faith. The essence of faith is not that you don't have any doubts or you don't have any process or you don't admit any grief or you don't have any concerns or any questions or any moments where you waver. That's not the essence of faith. The essence of faith is what you ultimately come to. It's when you've processed through all that, moved through all that, it's when you finally come down to say, this is ultimately what God says. And this is ultimately how we're going to act based on what we really do deep down in our souls believe. And this family was a model of that. And then finally, they were a model of caring for others. I was amazed that throughout the process, 
in spite of their own grief and their own difficulty and their own struggles, that they kept uh, that they had something to offer to others, the doctors, the nurses, and even the community around them. But maybe most significantly, they faced the very hard decision about uh, organ donation, and they made the decision to be organ donors. They felt like their daughter would want that, and so they were able to donate uh, organs so that other people might have the possibility of a more normal life uh, because of receiving uh, an organ from, a, from, from their daughter. They cared for others, even in the midst of their own grief and difficulty. So this summer, a seminary experienced a tragedy in a family that really matters to us, and this particular family uh, was a model for us. They were honest about it. They faced up to it. They pulled together as a family. They ultimately let what they believed, their theology, the biblical information they based their lives on, guide their decision-making, and they kept on caring for others, meaning they cared for each other. They cared for their doctors. They cared for their nurses. They cared for their community. And ultimately, they even cared for people who received organs from their daughter. They modeled the essence of Christian living being love and investing in others even in the midst of their difficulty. So, having thought about some of the kinds of tragedies we face as ministry leaders and the kinds of impact that we have to make in leading through those difficulties, and then considering how this family this summer did this so well, let me then give you some suggestions to remember as you minister during tragedy or during tragic situations. Number one, be patient. Patiently lead people to face the reality of their situation. During a tragedy, while everyone else's emotions ramp up, as a ministry leader, you have to make the decision to emotionally slow down. People are depending on you to be a stabilizing force in the midst of a tragic situation. So rather than ramp up the energy, you want to ramp down the energy. You want to be patient in the situation and be a model of patience as you help people to face the reality of their situation. Now, this takes many forms. It means that you speak softly, that you speak more slowly. It means that you help people to think with some careful questioning about the reality of the situation they've encountered. It means that you bring people back to the central issues that need to be discussed or decided or that need to be addressed in the context of the tragedy. It means that you are patient with people as they lash out in anger, you don't react. As they lash out perhaps with profanity or with even acts of uh, violence like slamming their hand into a wall or slapping something or anything like that that you don't overreact to any of that, that you're not going to overreact to language, you're not going to overreact to tone, you're not going to overreact even physically acting out anger, that you're going to be patient in the process and lead people through the reality of their situation without being emotionally flustered or without being emotionally upset. Now, you may say, yeah, but I'm involved in the situation and I have some of those same feelings. And yes, you may need to go and process those with another ministry leader or with someone outside the context, but in the context where you are the ministry leader, you are not there to be ministered to, you are there to provide ministry. You are not there to be cared for, you are there to provide care. You are not there to need to be patiently led along, you are there to provide the patient leadership that's necessary. And so if you need help, Go get it from a fellow pastor. Go see one of your mentors. Do what you need to get the kind of help you, you need to personally process through the situation. But in the midst of the situation itself, remember, you are the ministry provider. 
Your responsibility is to patiently lead people to face the reality of their situation and to be, if you want to describe it this way, as a bulwark against all the emotionalism and all the ups and downs and all the turmoil that's going on around them. Number one, be patient. Number two, give people space or permission to grieve. Help them understand that during a tragedy, the best Christian response is not denial, it's honesty. And that the Bible never says we are not to grieve. That the Bible says we are instead to grieve, but to grieve in the context of hope. Avoid cliches in your attempt to minimize pain. Don't rush to judgment when people start expressing doubt or anger or denial or bargaining or frustration or, being, or, or any kind of uh, emotions that reveal that they're upset about their situation, don't rush to mask over that or to cover over that with some kind of a cliche like, oh, but remember, God loves us. Oh, but know that God has a plan. Oh, but remember, your friend is in heaven. Oh, but remember, this is the best. No, avoid the cliches. You say, but some of those things may be true. They may be true, and there's a way to bring that truth into the conversation, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but cliches are not the solution. Have the ministry maturity to allow a person who's going through a tragedy the space to grieve, the opportunity to be honest with you about their feelings, and to really express what they're going through without you feeling that you have to have a quick answer for everything they may say or everything they may do in the situation. Number three, help people to focus on what really matters during a tragic situation. Now, people will be all over the map emotionally, and their minds will be going in a thousand different directions. You have to help people during a time of tragedy to focus on what really matters. You have to say things like, all right, let's talk about what we need to do next. Uh, we need to make sure that, that we eat that we sleep. <laughs> we need to make sure that we take care of the people closest to us. Uh, we don't need to worry about who's preaching on Sunday, or we don't need to worry about um, who's taking care of the carpool, or we don't need to worry about um, who's going to handle this situation in the, at school. We need to think about here and now and set aside all these extraneous issues. We also need to think about conflicts or family turmoil or difficulties. Right now, that's not the time for this. Right now, it's time to think about our particular needs in this particular situation. How are we going to respond in this tragedy by planning a service, by caring for our family, by taking care of people in our community? How are we going to make sure that we have a means to sleep and to eat and to take care of basic, the, the basic human needs that will get us through this tragic time together? You have to help people put aside other issues and focus on what really matters right now. And as a ministry leader, that means you have to sometimes gently say, you know, I understand why you're concerned about that, but let's set that aside for right now. I don't really think that's what we need to do. Or, you know, I understand that you'd have that concern. Let me make, let me make a phone call and get that taken care of. Or let me ask someone to handle that for you. You don't need to have that in your mind right now. And as you're helping people to focus on what really matters, which is their needs, their situation, their family, their, their response, you'll find yourself being a valuable ministry person because you're able to eliminate distraction and help them focus on the concerns they have in the moment. Now, a fourth suggestion is to gently use the Bible to guide important decisions. 
Now, when I said earlier, don't use cliches and don't throw out biblical uh, statements too quickly and don't just gloss over grief or try to mask pain by flipping out these spiritual cliches, I didn't mean that at the appropriate time and in the appropriate way, you didn't use the Bible to guide decision-making in the process. So that, for example, you're able to say when someone says, well, what do we do about this? Or I'm feeling this, or I'm thinking about this, or pastor, what does this mean? You're able to say, you know, I'm glad you asked that. The Bible has something to say about this. And that's when your scripture memory becomes so important because you've memorized passages of scripture and not even long passages, but just short verses or just short phrases that will help people to understand. Like when people say to me, I just don't understand, you know, you know, why God would allow this to happen in my life. I will say something like, you know, I don't understand that either. And God doesn't always promise us that uh, we'll understand his ways, but he does promise that he'll always be with us. Remember what the psalm says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. So even though we're in the valley of the shadow of death right now, God is with us. He's not, left, he's not abandoned us. So when people ask you questions or make statements or and somehow try to, uh, uh, to, to, to raise questions, that's when you're able to say, oh, here's what the Bible says or here's what God says. And not worrying about quoting a 40-verse passage or not worrying about delivering a 20-minute sermon, but just giving a, a phrase of Scripture, a short verse of Scripture. And to say, you know, in this context, for example, God has promised that uh, he can bring good out of every circumstance. And man, this situation we're going through is not good. But we have to cling on to God and hold on to him, believing that somehow he's going to get us through this and somehow we're going to find some good in this. These are things that can come out of Scripture that you can share with people in the midst of tragedy, but not, again, to gloss over their pain, but in response to their expressions of pain and legitimately saying, here's a way the Bible can guide us toward better thinking in this regard. Now, when you're doing this, you're going to find that you may have to say something over and over and in different ways because the pain that people are having uh, isn't all salved or isn't all resolved by just one statement that you may, 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 may make back to them. Instead... You have to be willing to use the Bible in a gentle way, in a pointed way, in a caring way to help them think through the decisions they're making. And some of these decisions will relate to things like um, when to make the decision to end life support or whether or not to do organ donation. Uh, these are the kinds of decisions that people will often turn to you and say, Pastor, what do I do? Or uh, what, what does the Bible say? Or what do, you think, what, what do you think is God's view on this? And you have to be in that moment able to say, well, let's talk about what the Bible says or let's understand some principles from Scripture that may apply here. People are asking you to help them to bring the Bible to bear on these decisions. And it's so important that you have learned passages of Scripture and thought through these questions beforehand. Hey, that's why you need to be in a pastoral ministries class in seminary or in a counseling class in seminary, right? Because those things help you to understand how to respond in these kinds of situations and have information in your mind so that you're ready to go in the moment with what needs to be said. And remember, in these moments, you're not trying to throw out a cliche, and you're not trying to give a 40-verse passage, you're not trying to give a 20-minute sermon. You're trying to give a very short, very direct, very comforting answer that is rooted in Scripture, that maybe includes a Scripture passage that you can quote, that helps a person understand how they can make a decision or how they can refocus their thinking based on what the Bible has to say about their situation. So, what are some things to remember when helping people in tragedy? Well, let's review. First, be patient. Patiently lead people to face the reality of their situation. Second, give space. Give permission for grieving. Don't tell people not to grieve or try to cut off their grief or try to short-circuit their grief. Remember, the Bible never says don't grieve. It says we grieve. 
but we don't grieve without hope. So give people space to grieve and help them to grieve well. Third, help people to set aside other issues and focus on what's really important, other conflicts, other difficulties, other obligations, other needs. Help them to set those aside and focus on what really needs to be dealt with right now, which is their own issues and the issues of their family and the people closest to them. And number four, gently use the Bible to guide them forward. Not using cliches, but speaking the truth in gentle ways, using the Bible in appropriate ways to help them resolve their, ch- their questions, answer, uh, resolve their issues, answer their questions, or otherwise know how to move forward based on what they really believe. Now, there's a fifth step, and that is focus on meeting the needs of the grieving people, not the community's expectations. You know, when this last situation happened over the summer at the seminary, uh, when I came back from the memorial service, someone said, uh, well, how was the service? And I said, it was good. They said, well, uh, did, they, did, they, uh, did you feel like they, they did a good job in planning and doing the service? And I said, well, actually, I guess I did. And then I made this statement. I said, but you know, um, I've never had those exact circumstances in my life, so I, I wouldn't really know how to evaluate it. But I'll just say that from the outside looking in, it looked like they did a really good job to me because they really focused on their needs and on what they felt like they needed to accomplish, not worrying about what everybody else thought about it. You know, this is one of the most important things a ministry leader can do is help people to focus on, help grieving people focus on meeting their needs and meeting the needs of their family and doing whatever needs to be done through the process of the, uh, of the grieving period and the memorial service to really meet the needs of the grieving persons. For example, uh, a few years ago when our good friend was killed in, uh, in battle in the Middle East, um, of course he was only 19, 20 years old when it happened. It was a horrible tragedy. And when he came home, you know, the community had a lot of expectations about what that was going to be like, that service was going to be like. The governor of our state came to the service. I mean, that's the kind of community engagement there was about this young man's death. But I never thought about that when I was planning the service. I didn't think about, well, how will the governor feel? Or what will the media think? Or what will happen when this goes out in the public? Or even how will the church feel about it? I sat down with the, the, the grieving parents and the young man's brother, and I said, look, um, I want the three of you to work with me to plan a service that will really honor your, your son and your brother and will really be meaningful to you. And the rest of the community, well, we're going to let them participate in whatever way they feel they need to, but I want us to focus on meeting your needs and meeting the needs of the people that are the most closely connected to this situation. You know, as a ministry leader, you can kind of run protection, if you will, or run interference, if you will, for a family that's grieving and help them to plan and focus and uh, give their attention to really meeting their needs in the situation and not letting anyone from the outside have too much influence on, quote, what needs to happen or the right way to have it should be done or a protocol that needs to be followed. No, you're a ministry leader. Make sure that you plan a ministry event, especially in terms of memorial service or any kind of public acknowledgement of the tragedy that really does meet the needs of the people involved. And then finally, during a time of tragedy, while your focus is on the people who are most directly impacted, be aware that what you're doing is going to have a long-term impact in the lives of many people around you. Now, what I mean by that is uh, it's easy during a time of tragedy to be caught up in the moment and, and to really focus on what's happening right in that moment. And, and that's, that's important, and I've been talking to you about how to do that. But a tragedy 
oftentimes has delayed reaction in the lives of, other, of people. And so as a ministry leader, you have to have the wisdom to know that you set a reminder on your phone two or three months after the event, you want to go back to that family or go back to that situation or go back to the people involved and say, how's it going now? You know, people tend to move on really quickly, except the people who are directly impacted by something like this, and they don't move on quickly at all. In fact, there's a lot of research that shows that when a major tragedy happens in someone's life, like the unexpected death of a spouse or a calamity or a catastrophe in the community, like a shooting or something like that, there's a good bit of research that shows that people don't even begin to move on from that. I'm talking about the people most directly involved until the one-year anniversary of the event takes place. In other words, that first year, <clears throat> while they may look like they've moved on, they really haven't. And so a wise ministry leader recognizes that the depth of a tragedy like this often has long, long-term impact in the lives of the people involved, but also in the larger community, and that you need to be able to acknowledge and recognize that your impact of ministry may not just be in the moment, but it may continue on for quite some time. Well, <clears throat> unfortunately, we had a summer tragedy this year. Uh, a young girl died in a very sad way, and that galvanized um, or that motivated uh, 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 and galvanized uh, the seminary community and the family uh, into a ministry time that really none of us wanted to be a part of, but really we had to go through together. Uh, it's reached a point now where we're able to move on a little bit, but we recognize that over the next year or so, it's going to have continued impact in all of our lives. Uh, this incident reminded me of some really positive things that this family modeled of how families can move through tragic times like this, and I'm grateful I was able to observe that in the way that I was uh, up close and personal. But beyond that, uh, I hope that you've learned from this podcast some things to think about as you try to minister in tragic situations. Unfortunately, uh, I'm pretty certain that everyone that hears this podcast is uh, going to at some point have to minister in a tragedy situation. And unfortunately, some of you will find this podcast to be timely. In the next few days, the next few weeks, something will happen. And you'll think back on what I've had to say today, and you'll be able to put some of this into practice almost immediately. So I'm hopeful that uh, you can do that. I'm sad you may have to. And I think that, think that the rest of us can take this information, file it away in our minds, and be ready to put it into practice the next time we have to engage a tragic situation. And in that context, we're called to lead on. <laughs>